1: Zero, all engine
2: running. Look We have a look Hello, and welcome back to Tennis Unfiltered with me, James Gray of the i newspaper and iNews.co.uk, uh, live from Paris, which may be a slightly unusual location uh, given it is the US Open. But I'm on uh, rugby duty this week, so I'm preparing myself for a very sweaty evening at the Stade de France. I've got Calvin Betton with me. Uh, to look back a little bit at the uh, women's semifinals, talk a bit about the men's semifinals coming up tonight and maybe look ahead to Saturday as well. Uh, Calvin, you're in a similarly sweaty Barnsley as far as I can tell.
1: Yeah, Barnsley feels like Barnsley Amazon jungle uh, today actually. <laughs> absolute sweat pit here and I haven't even been outside much to be honest. Um, yeah, crazy ridiculous um well it's probably not quite as hot
2: as new york in fairness although it doesn't i i feel like when it's hot in britain it always feels worse because nowhere has air conditioning the houses are bad it's the air conditioning isn't it
1: i think that's the thing that like in america or even on the continent you can always just go and um just go inside and then it really chills you out whereas like you go inside in the uk it's just like a little bit cold a little bit (laughs) cooler yeah but only marginally.
2: Yeah, I, I have had my air conditioning on in Paris pretty much since I arrived because it's. I, w- I went out for a run because I thought I'll go out this morning like before it gets too hot. So I went out about half nine and it was absolutely roasting. I was like, this is ridiculous. Yeah. yeah. Um, God knows how they're going to play rugby in it. Anyway, uh, let's crack on and stop complaining about the weather. I appreciate it. we British, but we do try and stop ourselves. Let's talk about the tennis because um, Coco Goff is into her second Grand Slam final after beating Karolina Mukova six four seven five and she will play arena sablenka who beat madison keys love six seven six seven six ten five in the deciding tiebreaker i mean <laughs> calvin this is like proper arena Sabalenka of old this is like double faulting on break point and losing six love i have to say for all the criticism i have had of arena sablenka in the past to lose a set six love and then do what she did is i think that shows a bit of personal growth to be fair
1: yeah, I think she's kind of got to the stage now where, where Zverev got to, where she's kind of just accepted that she's going to do loads of double faults. And <laughs> it doesn't, you know, there's two ways of going about it. You either like get your second serve better or you just kind of go, all right, I'll swallow them up and I'll mm-hmm. still win matches anyway. And that's kind of what she's doing there. And she only hit
2: four, to be fair, but they were at crucial moments. And, yeah. you know, that, that's, yeah. that's
1: the thing, isn't it?
2: that. that I, I suppose this is something you must think about. And maybe because you do a lot of doubles work at the moment, Calvin, you probably think about it less because the old bagel doesn't appear so much. But what do you say to a player or, you know, when you're allowed to coach? Or how how do you have to approach that mindset? Because losing a set six love, it must discombobulate some players. It must really, like, throw them off in some ways.
1: I think it's worse if you're playing somebody who you know that you're at least on a par with or there Mm. or thereabouts. The tough ones are when you're playing somebody who's just ranked higher than you and it's not a good matchup and that kind of thing. And you go 6 you think, oh God, don't really see a way out of this. But Mm. in that instance last night where they basically both play the same, same style, and Sabalenka is a better player than Madison Keys. You know, mm. she's probably thinking, okay, let's just reset here. And and equally on the flip side of it, it's difficult. If you're winning a set like that against somebody who you know is in your ballpark at least, it's kind of like a bit discombobulating when, when the next set starts and suddenly you're at two all or mm. something, because then it doesn't – you've kind of forgot that you've won a set six love by that stage. You've just yeah. won a set. You know, so then it's not like you feel like oh, I'm, I'm 8 2 up on games at the minute. You feel like you're just a setup and we're level on this set.
2: Hmm. Um, she's into Grand Slam final again. She's the new world number one, um, obviously, because Igor Shante lost. She said she was a bit frustrated. Pippa Horn pointed out earlier this week that Savalenka was a bit frustrated that she had, you know, taken world number one just by virtue of someone else losing and she wanted to win on the court. Um, irrespective of that, she is world number one, Calvin. And I don't know whether, I'm not sure I ever really thought about it. I, I think players think about world number one more than maybe fans do or pundits do, I'm not sure. But did you think that she would eventually get her game sorted and, and had all the weapons that she would end up being world number one?
1: Um, I thought it was possibility, yeah. I mean, she's been uh, he's been hanging around three and two for so long, that just the way that the tennis rankings work if you do that the likelihood is that you will you will become world number 1 just because mm. the world the people who are number 1 tend to be defending points and you've got to pick them up somewhere
2: well is world number 1 and yeah uh, George and I were talking the other day about the staggering consistency she's had i think she's now made at least the semi-finals of seven of her last grand slams which is i mean uh, you know that is like that's serious, that's that's goat level consistency there's not many people who can do that um, quarterfinals. Yeah, yeah. I think fair fair people have done that run, but semifinals is something else. Um, on the other side, she, um, we'll talk more about the final in our next episode, probably on, on Saturday morning um, with whoever that might be. But uh, just to look back at Coco Goff's semi she beat Karolina Mukova, a match that I thought might actually end up being quite close. And in fairness, I think the scoreline probably doesn't quite d- reflect how close that match was 6 4, 7 5, but it was. Two hours. The third set was the second set. Sorry, was an hour and fourteen minutes. It was pretty hard fourth. I would suggest um, interesting uh, tidbit from Marian Bartley Calvin on the Coco Goff forehand, which uh, both Brad Gilbert and Coco Goff herself have claimed they've made no changes on. But um, Bartley did quite a good little segment on Sky Sports. Uh, I thought Calvin, with your technical expertise, you could maybe just talk about racket head speed more generally, and you know how players try and add it, why they try and add it to certain shots. I mean, in layman's terms, to me, fast racket,
1: fast ball, good. Um, <laughs> it's, it's not that quite that simple, but it kind of is. I mean, I, what I will say is, I, mean, I didn't see Marion Bartley's segments, but I've seen quite a bit of her commentating, and I'm not going to take too much into that because she is absolutely <laughs> crazy. <laughs> um, also, like, I don't know who's worse, who's the worst commentator on Sky Sports, her or Feliciano Lopez, who is absolutely <laughs> I, terrible. I think like, it's like I'll come back to it, I'll come back, I'll come back to her racket head speed in a minute. But I watched the doubles last night Salisbury and Ram beat, um, Krychek and Dodig, And, um, Feliciano Lopez's commentary seemed to consist entirely of him going, Let's go, guys, here we go now, let's go, guys. And that was it. <laughs> And then he then he said, "You know I'm supporting the British guy today. Let's go, here we go, let's go guys and that was that's all he did for about two hours um but um yeah, now racket head speed yeah it's it's a straight it's there for, for pace, but it's also there for control because if you slow if you slow your racket head down um as you approach the ball, then you lose control it, that's when shots tend to go and it's fair to say that that is what Coco Goff did. Um, she was always slow. It felt like she was a racket head speed was slowing down as, as she approached contact, which is not what you want. You will lose control on that. But I, I don't know, mate, you know, that can cap That's, I don't think that's necessarily a technical change saying yeah. that she's, she's speeded at racket head speed, but I don't think it, you know, that tends to also just come with confidence a little bit that if you're thinking about it less, you know, she's got a fast arm and, it's how you get extra spin. It's how you get extra pace. Um, she doesn't have what I would say is a fast arm. You know, you think some players just have a fast arm like like Kyrgios, um Federer had a fast arm, that kind of thing. It's not like that, but probably, yeah, it's probably just given a little bit of a control. So I'd say they're probably both right. Bartlett mm. saying that she probably has got a bit of racket head speed and, and Goff saying, well, no, we haven't made any technical changes because <laughs> I don't think she has. Interesting.
2: Um, yeah, I've always, like again, from a completely layman's perspective, looked at it and, and thought she does have quite a, not a laboured swing of the racket, but a controlled one.
1: Yeah, maybe that's the best way to put it. So She swings um, from too far back. That's the problem. A, a what you always want to get good timing, you always want to be starting your shot on contact and having your follow-through as the fastest part of the swing. Right. That's what you want. Whereas if you look at golf, if you were to say where does... Does she she swings from too far back? Her swing starts now. I'm not talking about the shape of the swing. I'm talking when she starts swinging fast. This too far back. Whereas you want right. it like, imagine like if the listeners can imagine kind of like um if you imagine someone playing snooker or pool, and you kind of slowly bring the cue tip up to the ball and then then go fast at the end. You don't you don't sweep your pool cue right back from behind your hip. You know, you come sort of up to it, slow, 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 fast on contact. Yeah. And that's what Goff hasn't done. But she also has too big a swing, which makes it right. difficult to do that.
2: Hmm. Well, it's working all right for her at the moment. She's into the US Open final for the first time. It's going to be a tremendous occasion, I think, um, at, because there's an American in the US Open final. There might even be two Americans. We'll come on to that very shortly. Um, should also be noticed there are a couple of climate protesters I'm talking about end fossil fuels who interrupted the uh, goth mook of a match. They just stood up in the stands as far as I could tell. Um, and I quite enjoyed someone saying US Open Security is just a couple of boomers asking them politely to sit down, which which was the first <laughs> port of call. A couple of stewards did just come up and go, would you mind sitting down? And they're like, they sort of looked at them a bit puzzled and went, you know, we're protesting, right? Like we're not just sort of enjoying ourselves, <laughs> Um and one of them had glued his feet to the ground as well, which
1: I, you know, anyway, but um, it didn't I, create... I, didn't, I saw some still clips. I didn't see it. Um, I, I turned, I wasn't watching it at that stage, but the the one thing that always bothers me about, I mean, I don't think this is just stop oil. Is it, this was like some different kind but, of, but same, same kind cause, of thing and fossil yeah. fuels. Yeah. It's like, I just wish they would be a bit more normal and relatable with Was this, were these guys like that? Because they're just stop oil people. They're just so like socially awkward. And don't say anything, and <laughs> I think that makes people just think that they're weird. I actually think they'd have more traction, and the people would give them more time if they just, you know, bit you just, even if they're going to, c- I c- have no problem with their protests at all. I-, I entirely back it. But when when they come on, I just wish they'd actually speak rather than just act like weird goths.
2: <laughs> yeah, they 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 looked a bit more normal if you if you if, you, if that's okay. if that's how you want to judge them to me, but. um they nice, nice T-shirts, nice little Ranger T-shirts. I think I probably would have bought okay. one. So, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. not against it. Uh, but yeah, I mean, the thing is that if you're going to glue your bare feet to the ground, like you're not going to be a normal bloke, and like uh, you know, you're like yeah, that's true. That's true. You, you're not someone who conforms to society's uh, norms. I would suggest. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, um yeah. let's move on from people with glue feet glued to the ground uh, to someone who probably needs his feet glued to the ground, which is Ben Shelton who is, as we speak, probably trying not to get too nervous as he prepares for a US Open semi-final against Novak Djokovic. And um, they're playing in the day session on Friday. So there's a chance that they may already have played when you hear this, but hopefully uh, this will still be interesting to you. Um, Calvin, we've talked a lot about Ben Shelton. He's now here into his first Grand Slam semi-final. It, it's, this is one of the biggest challenges in tennis now, is playing Novak Djokovic in a major, major match. Um, I put this to George yesterday, and I suppose that I should put it to you really as well, that someone on Twitter pointed out that Denis Shapovalov had given Djokovic a few problems the first time he played him, um, and he did take a set off him in Australia, which obviously is Djokovic's natural home. Um, is there a chance that Ben Shelton's particular game is able to kind of put Djokovic out of, his, out of kilter and maybe find a way past him or at least take a set or two off him?
1: Uh, yeah, I mean, the way that Ben plays, is—he's nobody's going to want to play him because mm. he, can just, he can take the racket out of your hand and that's what you don't want. I'd be interested to see how he does play because he's not going to beat Djokovic if he thinks, right, I need to settle in here, be solid, um, make sure I'm in the match. I think he's got to come out all guns blazing from the start, land some blows um, and see how that works out. Um, you've got to heavily favour Djokovic because... As much as I, I do really rate Ben Shelton, I think he's got potential to be an s- absolute superstar. But I think his opponents have kind of been, they've matched up well with him here. Hmm. And they also, in, in TFO's case, just played stupid tennis. Like, which <laughs> just, you know, I think Francis is great, but he's just his tennis IQ. It's ten- so weird because at times his tennis IQ is so high. And then at other times, like he'll just have matches where he just turns into, for example, turns into Denis Shapovalov, who's one of the <laughs> thickest tennis players on tour. Um, and that's kind of what happened the other day. Um, but that's not going to happen with Djokovic. He'll find, you, you know, I mean, the thing is with, with Ben Shelton, his serve is huge, his forehand huge, his backhand is not. And I just get the feeling that Djokovic will just pin him in backhand. He'll find his backhand. The key's gonna be for Djokovic how often he can make Ben Shelton hit a backhand on the first shot after his serve. And if he can after do that Shelton's serve. Yeah, on his serve plus one, if he can make Shelton play backhands, then he's got Shelton is is gonna struggle, I think. Because I don't mm. see him breaking a whole lot and he's gonna have to serve really well. But that will be the stat to look at. I don't, I don't, there will be a stat somewhere. Somewhere we'll have it. But I suspect he's going to get around about 20% less backhands, less, less forehands on his serve plus one than he has been for the rest of the tournament tonight.
2: And I suppose, I mean, if you're Ben Shelton or Brian Shelton, even really, and you know that, what, what can you do to, to counter the counter? Is it, you know, there's certain serves you've got you gotta hit. You've got to go
1: for the serves. You're gonna have to yeah, you're gonna have to go to the serves that are gonna make um that are gonna stop Djokovic doing that. Now what Ben does have in his favour is his feet are also rapid, so he can he can get round quick. Hmm. But then Djokovic is also smart, so he might throw a few returns into the forehand early doors just to hmm. keep him honest. You yeah. Keep him there. But it, it's I, I you got to be expecting that. That's what's to come. But again, if you're Ben, if you're Ben Shelton and Brian is dad, you're probably going look. Let's just come out and serve big. Let's just go and try and take the match away from him. Let's not think too much about tactics and that kind of thing because he's, he's, he's not that kind of player. He's not mm-hmm. going to be, be, be painting pictures or trying to get involved in a chess match here. He's going to think I'm going to try and serve huge, I'm going to serve big on second serves. I'm going to every half chance I get, I'm going to absolutely leather a forehand. Yeah. And if Djokovic can take him into rallies, then. He's got a problem,
2: hmm. and we saw that. Well, I mean, I don't know if you saw that that second serve return that Shelton hit against Tiafo, which I don't even know if they clocked it in the end. It's One of the biggest forehands I've ever seen, to the extent yeah. that he hit it, and you know, it's when they hit it so well, it swerves away. If that makes sense, if you're hitting a, a left-handed yeah. forehand, it swerves to the left because you've just hit hit it so hard and almost flat. I couldn't... I yeah. it was genuinely the hardest to ever see someone hit a tennis ball. On the other side uh, of the draw, Carlos Alcaraz against Daniil Medvedev. Daniil Medvedev, Calvin, has to be said, has uh, has bucked your expectations here by making the semi-finals. Um, albeit, playing Andre Rublev in a quarter-final is, uh, He probably could have hand-picked Andre Rublev for a quarter-final there because that is now nine in a row. And they've obviously got history and Medvedev generally had his number. But... Um, this
1: is obviously conditions and an arena that he really likes in New York. Yeah, of course. Yeah, this is probably the, what he plays best on. I, I just the, the twice that he's played Alcaraz, Alcaraz has absolutely duffed him, and there were mitigating circumstances in both. To be fair, grass is not Medvedev's best surface by any stretch, mm. so you know you can kind of look past that. And then I think when he played him in Indian Wells, Miami,
2: uh, Indian Wells, yeah.
1: Yeah, when he played him in Indian Wells, I think Medvedev had, had a long match the day before and wasn't wasn't specifically in his best frame of mind. But it's just game styles that Medvedev's got to win the first set there. He's got to win the first set. Because yes. if he doesn't, then you can see he's got to start well. Because if, like, those kind of situations, like, like I was just talking about then, if you've had a couple of hidings off somebody, and then if, say, Medvedev goes three love down at the start, then you start that's when you start thinking, oh God. As the coach, you're like, you know, what what can I do here? You know, it's like yeah. what what can we possibly do? I know a player I used to coach, he'd played a certain player um two or three times before and the matchup was just terrible. And after every match we came we came off and, and the player was just like the matchup's just terrible. I just can't his, his what he can do just plays into my weaknesses. Like so key and um and then like you know that we seem to draw him all the time like twice a year and then every time you in the pre-match you try and be positive like you know right right you know like stick to the game plan etc and you got three love down and you're like oh my god this is like what what we <laughs> you, you know you, there's not much you can do because it's like you know it's just game styles That's just mm-hmm. a bad matchup and i think that's kind of where it is but you know you never know with Medvedev. We keep it. Look, we'll see tonight because we keep hearing what a what a brilliant problem solver and chess player he is, don't we? Mm-hmm. So he's had a good, you know, he's had a good two months now to figure out what he's gonna, how he's gonna solve the Carlos Alcaraz problem. Mm. So let's let's see if he does tonight.
2: Uh, I should point out there was one other head-to-head where Medvedev actually won, but it was two years ago and I, it was at Wimbledon. I think it was probably Carlos Alcaraz's yeah. third ever match on grass. Um, so probably not quite so relevant. Yeah,
1: yeah. But, I saw someone earlier saying, like, I saw someone going, like, like saying it's a disgrace that 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 match is the night match and Shelton and Jokovic is the day match because there's, you know, there's no doubt what the box office one is, and I'm like, it's like num- world number one against world number three.
2: Yeah, like, I, that's what I thought. I mean, I I looked at it and actually initially had the same reaction. I was like, oh. Bit surprised Shelton Djokovic isn't the night match, but then yeah, you think about it, and you're like, there's a decent chance Shelton Djokovic is over in like an hour and 40. Not a decent chance, yeah. but there there's a, a non zero chance. Whereas, yeah, yeah. Medvedev, you're at least guaranteed a bit more entertainment. I would suggest you,
1: you can't be having the world number one against world number three as like a, a, a grand slam semi and yeah. deciding it's like it's it needs to be in the day, hmm. like it's just I know what people say, you know, the matchup they have played before, the matchup's not been great, but. Still, regardless, you've got to put that on at night.
2: Yeah, yeah, I would completely agree with that. Um, and I, I don't know how that really changes conditions, I suppose. It'll be probably a bit more humid, a bit cooler. But um, nevertheless, conditions aside, Carmen, because that was really interesting when you were describing how that Shelton match might go. If you're Daniil Medvedev's coach, if you're Gilles Savara, um, how do you put together a game plan for Alcaraz? Whenever I've seen really technical investigations into Alcaraz's tactics, it's all about restricting his uh, inside-in forehand down the line, you know, when he runs around it and, and whacks it down the line. But yeah. I don't know how you do that.
1: I mean, yeah, you've got to kind of take it. The thing is, the big thing with Alcaraz is he's so fast and so he sets off so early that you've got to get him on the run and get him going behind him. Right. Like if you go, I know I spoke with a coach of a player who's played him this week, um, and they'd said that, what they were disappointed in was that their player hadn't gone back behind him when he had the midcourt balls hmm. often enough and given him too many running forehands, running backhands, which is what you don't want. So that's the way to beat him. You've got to be sort of keeping him off balance. Hmm. But that's, you know, that's saying a lot. You know, you've got to, you're going to have to do a hell of a lot to do that. I mean, hmm. what the way that Medvedev will beat him is doing what Medvedev does best and just keeping the ball to a length deep trying to keep it into his backhand and just not and stifling what he can do from attack. And then you never know, like, because again, you come to these situations where Alcaraz has won their previous matches so easy that if they do get to five all in the third and he's not really getting any breakthroughs, then Alcaraz are then going to start thinking, shit, this is not what it was like last time.
0: Mm. Like what mm.
1: the things I've been doing to beat him easily before are not working here. So what, what have I got in the tank now? That That's... Ah what you, and I, what they will look at.
2: And I should say, the only set he has lost in this tournament so far to Dan Evans, incredibly, um, Alcaraz did have... He was pretty angry about it. And he was, you know, there were signs of frustration there. And I think yeah. Medvedev yeah. is such a good shithouse that he will have noticed that. And I'm sure yeah. Yeah. that he will be thinking about ways to... As much as he'll be thinking about tactics, he'll be thinking about ways to get under Alcaraz's skin. Whatever it ha- whether it's whinging to the umpire about random things, you know, picking up little yeah. bits of time in between points. I think that's. I think. I mean, you know, I'm a big fan of shit housing, and I think if you're going to try and beat Carlos Alcaraz, you <laughs> probably have to. Um speaking of shit I mean, they... yeah
1: to be fair we 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 hyped up another match on the basis that one of them could really be a shit house the other day and and Ostapenko was off the court in about 7 <laughs> minutes so I'm not sure that's that's really really what holding much credence What she's anybody. done
2: there Calvin is the ultimate shit house is she shit housed us that's yeah, what she actually yeah, it, done yeah. there.
1: it's impressive yeah. yeah fair play to probably planning probably <laughs> on doing that <laughs>
2: Um, Yeah, yeah, indeed. Uh, Just on shithousery, I was going to ask you one thing. Uh, You might not have noticed this, but I did, and I said it to George yesterday. Um, Carlos Alcaraz has got very grunty, like very, and long grunts. Like, it's getting a bit Lorenzo Sonego.
1: Yeah. Um, Yeah, it's one of those. You don't... I think that's probably going to have to be a conversation behind the scenes or like quietly with the umpire. He's going to have to go to him, look, you know, This is getting a little bit much now. Yeah, like you might want to tone that down because it is getting a little bit much, and he is going to have to tone it down because there's also no need for it. It's definitely there just to just to affect the opponent, and that's I'm not a fan of that. You know, it's like somebody's going to have to say it, but um, yeah, you know, it's it is something that's going to have to get done. Um, Yeah, but but it's like you know the other thing that people bang on about is like people banging on about how he's always talking to his coach. Like as if any every other coach doesn't do that. Yeah. Like it's just yeah. such you know, it's just bizarre. And like, you know, some some well, I say every other coach, some players like to talk to their coach a lot, some some don't. But it's like, like also I noticed this like yesterday when I watched a little bit, the day before maybe. I'm talking about, you know, since they've brought the coaching in, like blah, blah, blah. It's like, no, that that was happening all the time anyway. Like yeah. like the, you know, that was like you know, and it's like now, like somebody said to me <laughs> Somebody said to me the other weeks, you can only—I forgot—you can only coach at the side of the court that your players at. Like yeah. if they're at your side, you can only do that. And I'd shouted something to Luke, who I was with in Poland, and and Luke had said to me, "Oh, the umpire says you can only coaches at that side." And yeah. I was like, "Yeah, yeah, okay." And I was like, "Well, you know, I used to not be able to coach at any side, and I used to do that <laughs> then anyway." So, um, <laughs> how much has really but, changed? Um, well, yeah. I have
2: to—I have to say that they have made better use of the coaching thing this year as well. Like they've had microphones turned up in the coaching area. I've heard the commentators talking about it a lot, and as as I knew it would be, it's been really interesting. Like,
1: just yeah, uh, we made, we talked about it
2: when J- J- James Trotman was talking about J- talking to Jack Drake. But like, yeah, it's it's a no brainer. I was told that my it.
1: my dad said to me that um, I I was actually on coach uh, coaching Henry and Julian. I called them over a couple of times, and when I was on the telly, my dad said that. That I'd been on and whoever was commentating my dad said to me, like, he goes, Who was commentating on that match? And I was like, Well, I don't know, do I? Because I'm watching it on television. So, um, uh, and he goes, Oh, they were saying that you know you were coaching them and this is it's a disgrace, you shouldn't be allowed to coach anymore. And like um, you know. but Incredible. I, I, don't I mean know why I... people I really don't know why people get so irate. I think it's it's a great thing for the viewer. I really do.
2: Yeah, there's no question. Absolutely no question. Um, yeah. Uh, well, Calvin, in case I don't get you for our women's final preview tomorrow, uh, Goff versus Sabalenka, I'm I'm required by law to ask you for a prediction.
1: I think Sabalenka will win that. Um, I think it will be two close sets, but I'm not certain of it. Could go, you know, Goff seems to be on a roll. Um, I'll tell you what, you got to give some credit to Brad Gilbert. He's not been in the coaching game for some time mm. and... You know, at the, at the highest level, he's not been in, and he just seems to have turned it round. And he's he's done basically what he did with Agassi twenty nine years ago when um, he started coaching Agassi, and Agassi came out of nowhere and won the Austri- won the uh, U.S. Open that year. Yeah. Um, and um, you know, fair play to him. It shows that if you're a good coach, you'll you remain a good coach, it doesn't matter how old you are. Mm.
2: Yeah, agreed. Well, well, that's all we've got time for uh, for today. Uh, thanks very much to Calvin for dragging himself out of. Barnsley, but Bar- Bar- was it they call Scarbados? There must be a, a Barnsley version of Scarbados. But, uh... I've never heard of Scarbados.
1: <laughs> you never heard of, Scar- <laughs> heard of, Scar- of Scarbados? No, yeah, no. I mean that's, um, that's there's, the... a part, there's a there's um, a I mean I mean there's there's well Barnsley's near Castleford and. Pontefract, and that's Ponte Carlo and uh, Cas Vegas. But, um, <laughs> the only one I've heard but, that um, is
2: Staley Vegas for Staley Bridge in the north. No, which um,
1: <laughs> might be no the I don't. Um, right, yeah, okay. it's a big change from uh, New York where I was 48 hours ago. <laughs> yeah, but, I
2: bet. Well, uh, and I'm going to go yeah. and uh, sun myself in the prison uh, streets. But uh, as always, we'll who, who are you tomorrow. watching
1: tonight, James? Who's playing tonight?
2: France, New Zealand, the big opener. It's it's probably oh, okay. the most hyped game i can remember uh okay. for a long time it, it could be pretty special but my main concern is it's a nine fifteen p.m kickoff here in paris oh wow so it's wow. not going to be done till like probably quarter past 11 i think i'll do press conferences i might not be out there till like half one two in the morning and i was uh, like great get to cover some rugby you know when rugby finishes you never know when tennis finishes and then it's bloody yeah. one in the morning anyway but there we go. Can't complain too much, otherwise I uh, yeah. think I'm looking at a gift horse in the mouth.
0: Sports Social Podcast Network. I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press one. If you're ready to have some serious fun for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press two.